This Student Ministry 127 podcast is a sermon preached at the 2011 West Coast Baptist Youth Conference by Dr. John Getch. Dr. Getch has been in full-time evangelism for the last 35 years and is the Executive Vice President of West Coast Baptist College. On the weekends and during breaks in the college schedule, he continues to preach revivals and special services wherever possible. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. 1 Samuel chapter 17, look at verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered themselves together, their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Ephesus Daman. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. Young people in life, there are only two sides to the ball. There's God's side, and there's the devil's side. There's God's cause and Satan's cause. Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. There's only two sides. Just as in football or basketball or hockey or soccer, there's offense, there's defense. There's two sides to the ball. And throughout the game, you're either playing offense or you're playing defense. Two teams, one against the other. You can't somehow get a little bit of God's will and a little bit of the world's will. You can't live part of your life for God's cause and part of your life for Satan's cause. Jesus said no man can serve two masters. Either he'll love the one and hate the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Paul put it this way. He said, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. I can't drink out of two glasses of water at the same time. I've got a big mouth. But if I try to drink out of both these glasses at the same time, I'm going to get wet. Probably electrocute myself too now that I think about it. (laughs) You got to choose a glass. It's one or the other. You can't sit in a chair and slide your legs out of, uh, underneath two tables at the same time unless you stack the, cha- stack the tables. You've got to choose a table. Paul said you can't drink the cup of the Lord at youth conference and the cup of devils when you go home. There's only two sides to the ball. There's the cause of Christ. There's the cause of Satan. And young people, may I say to you, it's time to choose teams. It's time to get on a side. Which cause are you going to engage in? Are you going to follow the pluralistic system of religion? And just say, well, it really doesn't matter what I believe. They're all alike. We need to tolerate it all. Let's just walk through any door. Believe whatever we want. Are you going to live your life just choosing the world's doors, whatever they are that come along in your life, and say, well, it really doesn't matter what I live for, and just choose just any door, or are you going to choose the cause of Christ? It's time to decide. It's time to choose teams. When I was uh, just finishing high school, I was mixed up. 
I wasn't messed up. I was mixed up. I hadn't gotten into drugs or alcohol or those kinds of things. But I had lived for myself and really hadn't given myself to the cause of Christ. As a result, when I got to the end of high school, I was double-minded. I knew that God had something for me because for three months of my senior year, he had put me in a hospital. Flat on my back, couldn't move a muscle. I'd made it through that, but I knew that God was dealing with me. But at the same time, I really didn't want to be dealt with. I had, I had desires. I had dreams. I, I had things I wanted to do. And my counselors in public school had urged me toward data processing. This was before there were computers back in the Old Testament. And my scores were always high in math. I, I don't know why they were high. I just, you know, those achievement tests, I used to just try to make designs by filling in boxes wherever I thought, you know, look good. But I always scored high in math. They were pushing me toward the computer world, pushing me toward data processing, uh, bookkeeping, those kinds of skills. And, and, and I had some interest there. And I realized it was, it was sort of the, the edge of something that was going to happen later on. And, and, and I kind of wanted to go that way. I wanted to play ball. I wanted to play sports in college. And I had some offers to do that. And, and, I, and yet the Lord was tugging on me. And I'd applied at a technical school in Madison, Wisconsin, Madison Area Technical College in the area of data processing. I'd taken all the tests and passed all the tests for entrance, but I hadn't received my entrance letter, my acceptance letter. And uh, I was playing baseball that summer, and it was August the 1st, which happens to be my spiritual birthday. I got saved on August the 1st, three years prior to that. And I was walking off that field that night. To be honest with you, I wasn't thinking about my spiritual birthday. But a friend of mine, his name was Larry, he walked up to me. We had just finished the game, and he started walking with me to our cars, and he said, hey, John, where are you going to college? I said, I don't know, Larry. I, I've applied at Madison Tech. It's kind of what I want to do, but I haven't been accepted. It's August 1st. Classes start like the 20th. I guess it's full, or I guess they're not going to accept me. I don't know. I haven't heard from them. And my unsaved friend, he said, well, you could always go to Bible college. I thought, what? What does my unsaved friend know about Bible college? He said, you could always go to Bible college. See, he knew I was a Christian, And he knew that was an option for me, but I wasn't considering it. But I remember getting in that car and I thought, Lord, that's kind of strange. That my unsafe friends are telling me to go to Bible. I mean, I expected my youth pastor to say that. I expected my parents to encourage that, but my unsafe friend telling me go to Bible college. So as I drove home, I I, I said, Lord, I'll make you a deal. I'm going to go up to the Bible college. There was one in my town. I said, I'm going to go up to that Bible college, and tomorrow I'm going to put in my application. I've already got my application at Madison. I'm going to put my application in at that Bible college, and whichever one comes back first, that's where I'll go. 
Now, young people, God doesn't like deals. But the next day I went up there, I walked into the dean's office, and I said, I'd like an application. And he said, for what? (laughs) He gave me the application. I filled it out, turned it in. Two days later, I went to my mailbox, and there were two letters. One from Madison Tech, one from Maranatha, both accepting me. God said, look, I don't play deals. This isn't a game. You know what I want? Get on the side. I'm thankful I chose that day the cause of Christ. Oh, I wasn't completely yielded to it. I wasn't totally surrendered to it. I had no idea what God was going to do with my life. In fact, I wasn't even sure yet that I really wanted him to do anything. But I knew that God said, look, there's a line drawn. you got to get on one side or the other. Don't be messing with me. Don't be trying to play the game. God said, you get on a side. And I want you to look at this passage of Scripture with me. It's a familiar passage, but like a drama, like we saw the other night, This drama in 1 Samuel 17 has three scenes. Scene number one is the quandary of Israel. The nation of Israel is in a quandary. They are in a a battle that is about to ensue that is going to determine their future. And there's a quandary in their minds as they face this battle. We see a challenging enemy in verse number four. There went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. He had graves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. This guy, Goliath, was a challenging enemy. This man was nine feet, nine inches tall. He was three inches under the basketball hoop. He could have stood on his tiptoes and dunked the ball with his teeth. Nine feet, nine inches tall. He wore armor that weighed 150 pounds. He had a spear that the head of that spear weighed 25 pounds and he could throw it with accuracy. I threw the shot put in high school. Shot put in high school is an eight-pound shot. You try to throw it as far as you can. You go to college, it goes up to, to 12 pounds. I tell you, we worked and worked and worked a technique to try to throw that thing 50 feet or more. Can you imagine this spearhead of Goliath weighing 25 pounds, and he could throw it with pinpoint accuracy? Here is a challenging enemy in the, in, the, in the eyes of Israel, God's people. Young people, can I tell you this morning, we are up against a powerful enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Satan hates you. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. And notice a critical enticement. In verse number eight, he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? 
Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Oh, this is a critical enticement. You realize what he's saying? We're going to fight. Me against one of you. Winner takes all. I win, your nation serves our nation. You win, our nation serves you. Winner takes all. Young people, do you realize that Satan is calling out Christianity today? Do you realize the devil is calling out to us and challenging us? And our freedom is on the line? Our future is on the line? Our families are on the line? Our churches are on the line? He's calling us out. He's saying, come on, give me your best. Let a teenager step forward. Winner takes all. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil is a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You need to understand that that word devour means to make to disappear. The devil is calling out Christians today. He's willing to fight with us. And he's saying, if I win, I'm going to make you disappear. The devil would like nothing more than for Christians to disappear from this earth. By the way, one day his prayer is going to be answered. It's called the rapture. But he'd like to destroy every Christian in this room this morning. And he doesn't care how he does it. And we see a crippling emotion in verse number 11. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Huh. I think I'd be afraid too. He's nine feet nine inches tall. He's got armor that weighs 150 pounds. He's got a spear that he can throw that weighs 25 pounds. Now this guy, we don't have anybody in our army that can match this. Saul, their leader, stood head and shoulders above every man in Israel. He was probably maybe 6'6". Six, eight, maybe, but against nine feet, nine inches, he looked like a a midget. They had no one that could fight this man, and a crippling emotion begins to set in. Listen, young people, fear will keep you from the cause. Fear will keep you from walking those stairs into the cause of Christ. The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso put this trust in the Lord shall be made safe. Young person, I understand the fact this morning that when you're challenged like you're being challenged this week to serve God with your life, there's a fear. But what about all of my friends? What about all these other opportunities? What about all these other religions? What if they're right and I'm wrong? Well, what about my life? Am I going to be happy? Am I going to have things? I understand there's some fears, but understand something. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power and of love, and of a sound mind. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Oh, we see the first scene here, the quandary of Israel. But notice scene two, the question of the innocent. David, 
this little shepherd boy, probably in the middle of his teen years, is sent by his father, Jesse, to the battle to see how his brothers were doing. His older brothers were fighting on the side of Israel. And Jesse sends David with some care packages for his older brothers. He comes to the battle. And I want you to notice he hears the hateful cursing. In verse number 23, as he talked with them, as David talked with them, the people in the army, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. A hateful cursing. This man, Goliath, was defying the God of Israel. He was defying the Jehovah God. And David heard it. Young people, it's about time that somebody in this room gets mad when God is cursed. It's about time that somebody gets a little holy indignation when Christianity is made fun of. Today in our world, sin is promoted. Sin is protected. Sin is paraded. Folly, Solomon said, is set in great dignity. When I was your age, you may laugh at this, but when I was your age, I didn't know what a homosexual was. I had no idea. I went to public school, played three sports, spent a little time in the locker room, but I never, I never heard that word. Didn't know what it meant when I went to, buy, when I went to college in the fall of 1970. You know what it is. It's protected. It's paraded. It's promoted. Anybody that speaks against it is committing a hate crime. And somebody ought to get a little mad about that. Somebody ought to get a little bit upset about the sin that's going on in this world. They're cursing our God. They're laughing at our Bible. They're they're laughing at our standards. They're making fun of us. It's about time somebody gets upset with the devil and what he's doing to ruin lives across the landscape of humanity. And notice a holy cause in verse number 28. Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he, David, spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Don't we have something, young people, worth fighting for? We're talking about the name of God. We're talking about the Holy Bible. We're talking about righteousness that exalts a nation. Do you realize that if we go down to the devil in our generation, you're not going to have a chance to get married and have kids. The home is being destroyed today. Our culture can't even figure out what marriage is. They can't even define it in our courts. Marriage as we know it, the family as we know it, is on the line. Churches are being attacked. 
Churches are going to be destroyed if we don't have some young people in this generation that will stand up and say, is there not a cause? Your future. The hope of revival, the hope of camps, the hope of a youth conference, the hope of all these things is not going to be enjoyed by your kids if your generation doesn't step into the cause. In the book of Ezekiel, God said, I sought for a man among them who would make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I might not destroy it. But I found none. Young person, we're at a crossroads in this country. We're at a crucial time. The enemy has called us out. And God says, hey, I'm looking for a man. I'm looking for somebody to step into the cause for Christ. What an awful shame it would be if God looked over a crowd of teenagers like this and couldn't find a one. No one to step into the cause. All these other doors are more attractive. All these other doors are are more important to you than the cause of Christ. A hateful cursing. A holy cause. And we see a happy crown in verse number 25. David asked the men of Israel, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. If you go back to verse 48, move ahead to verse 48, it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran to the, to the army. To meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until they come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way of Sherarim, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistines and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Listen, uh, David won this battle. David succeeded in in defeating this giant. And David received a happy crown. Listen, young person, you step into the cause of Christ, you're going to live a victorious life. There's There's no guarantee of victory. You walk through any other door but God's. God promises the victory. Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In all things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. So we see the quandary of Israel. We see the the question of the innocent. But I want you to see the qualification for involvement. How is it that God used David? I believe in this room this morning, there are multitudes of teenagers that are ready to climb those stairs and step into the cause. God's been at work in these last few hours. God's been talking to us. 
And we've sat here in this auditorium and this conference and we've, we've thought about the doors. We've thought about the opportunities. We've thought about the choices. And I'm convinced that all up and down these rows and pews throughout this auditorium, there are teenagers that are sitting on the edge of the bench saying, call me in. Call me up there. I'll go through that door. I'll walk through that cause. I'll live for God. But what are the requirements? What are the qualifications? How are we going to defeat this enemy? How are we going to win this battle? What qualifications are there for victory in our generation? I want you to notice, first of all, a daily submission. A daily submission. If you go back into chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, you'll find this young man, David, submitting on a daily basis to his father. In chapter 16 and verse 19, wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David his son unto Saul. When David's father, when Jesse spoke, David not only listened, but David was always ready to obey. We see it again in verse, uh, chapter 17 and verse 13 as, as Jesse sends uh, David to the battle. The elder, three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And in verse 14, David was the youngest and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. In verse 17, Jesse said unto David his son, Take now thy brethren an ephah of parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to the brethren and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. We see a daily submission. Young person, are you living in obedience to God today? We're in a battle. The only way we're going to win this battle, if you live in obedience to God today. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. God desires obedience. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, the sword shall devour you. A couple years ago, my granddaughter's we're up early one day at our house. My son was in evangelism at the time and they had stopped at our house about two o'clock in the morning to get a few hours of sleep before continuing on to their next meeting. The girls had been sleeping in the truck and so they were wide awake at about six o'clock in the morning. It was a Saturday morning. And I likewise had traveled the day before and was just stopping for the day and going on to another meeting and my car had gotten kind of dirty and I decided to wash my car. So I went to the garage and Katie and Annie, Katie was probably about six at the time, Annie was probably about four. And they followed me into the garage. They said, Grandpa, what are you doing? I said, I'm gonna wash my car. They said, why? I said, because it's dirty. Why? Because I was driving yesterday. Why? Because I was in a meeting and now I've gotta go to another meeting. Why? Because I'm an evangelist. Why? Because God called me. Why? You ever been around little kids? It just doesn't end. I finally 
convinced him I was going to wash my car. And they said, can we help you? I said, well, I, I don't know. You know, your mother's already gotten you all dressed. You're all, you're all, you've had your bath and you've already gotten dressed. And, you know, you're ready for your trip. And I, I don't know, uh, maybe. I said, why don't you just watch for a minute? Uh, maybe I'll, I'll let you help me dry the car. I didn't want him to get in the water. So they kind of were okay with that. So I got the bucket and I got the brush and I got the soap and I filled up the, the, the bucket with water. And, and they were saying, why are you doing that? Because I'm going to wash the car. Why? Because it's dirty. Why? I said, forget it. Just, just watch. So we filled the bucket, we got the thing out, and we, we got the garage door up, and we went out, and I started spraying the car with the water, you know, to get it wet, and I started scrubbing the skin. We helped, no, no, you stay over there in the grass, just watch, just watch. I'm going to let you help dry in a minute. So I'm washing the car, and I'm trying to do it as quickly as I can, and I'm working there, and, and the water was beginning to build up in the driveway. I have a cement slab there, and it was starting to build up on that cement. And, you know, water from a car wash is kind of grimy and dirty. And, 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 and Katie and Annie, they, they, they saw that water, and that became very attractive to them. And so I, I turned around, and they were, they were stomping through the water. Katie was in the lead, and Annie right behind her, you know, just stomping through the water. I said, Katie, Annie, get out of that water. Get out of that water. Go on. Get, go over on that grass. You just watch. Don't get in that water. You get all messed up. You get all dirty. You're all pretty. You're all uh, ready for, for, for your trip. Don't, don't get in the water. Okay, okay, okay. So they go over, and I keep, I keep working. Pretty soon I look over, and now the water's getting deeper. It's even more attractive. And they're sloshing through this water, stomping in this water. I said, Katie, Annie, get out of that water. I said, okay, okay. And they went over. Pretty soon the third time I looked over, they're sloshing through this water. And they're singing. They're slo- Katie's in the lead, she's sloshing through this water. Annie's right behind her, sloshing through the water. Their dresses now are getting drenched. They got, their feet are dirty. And they're singing, O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. I'm standing there looking at this thing and there's something drastically wrong with this picture. (laughs) But you know, the Lord began to talk to me a little bit and he said, you know, you're a little bit like that too. You you know the theology of obedience, but are you obeying? You come to youth conference like this, you get all kinds of theology, you get all kinds of of things to put in your belief tank and, and, and you believe it, but but are you behaving it? They, they got to be joined together. And here was David with a, with a daily uh, submission to authority. But notice also a developed skill. Back in chapter 16 and verse 18, it informs us that David is caring for the sheep. Now, I don't think David was just sitting on a rock watching a bunch of sheep. Because we find later that he's very skilled on his harp. When Saul has an evil spirit, they send it for David, this cunning player on the harp. And he plays magnificently before Saul, and the evil spirit departs from him, and God uses that musical ability several times in the life of Saul through David. We find him in chapter 17 slinging this, this, this slingshot and killing this giant. I don't know if you know how difficult that was. They didn't have the slingshots you pull back. 
When I was in Israel a number of years ago, we saw a little shepherd boy one day and he had a slingshot, a little leather slingshot, two long straps and a little pouch. And the guy that I was with, he said to the boy, he said, can you use that thing? He said, oh yeah. He said, let me see you. The kid picked up a stone, put it in that little pouch. He began to whirl that thing and let go one of those straps and that, that rock flew through the air. And that guy picked up a rock about the same size as he had. He said, let me see if he can hit this. He said, you ready? And the guy threw it up in the air. And that kid took that slingshot, tore it like that, and hit that rock exactly out of the air. Little kid about nine years old. David, you, you, obviously God guided this stone to the forehead of Goliath. But I'm telling you something, he had a skill. Young people, what are you doing with your talents? What are you doing with the abilities God's given you? Listen, God put those there for a reason for such a time as this. God's given you musical ability. God's given you preaching ability. God's given you personality ability. God's given you some things in your life. Don't bury those talents. If we're going to get in this battle, we're going to win this thing. We've got to have a, we've got to have a, a, a developed skill that God can use for his glory. But then I see a dependent spirit. David, though skilled, understood that the battle was the Lord's. If you go back into chapter 17, in verse 47, let's look at verse 46. This day, he's speaking to Goliath now. He said, this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. There was a dependent spirit. Young, young person understands something. God's given you some skills. God's put you under some authority. And right now as a teenager, you need to submit to those that are trying to guide your life. And as you submit to them, you need to develop those skills that God is building in your life. Work hard in school. Work hard at your abilities, athletically, musically, in the fine arts competitions. Work hard at those things. Develop those skills. God's not giving them to you for no reason. He wants you to develop them. But through it all, understand that the battle's the Lord's. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. We're being called out, teenager. We're being called out by Satan. He's saying, come on, give me a man. Let's have it out. Let's have it out. Winner takes all. God's looking for somebody to step into that battle. To step in that battle here in America, to step into that battle in China, to step into that battle in Russia, to step into that battle all over this planet. In a moment, we come to the final service. And I challenge you to step into the cause. Step into the cause. Yeah, there's a lot of choices. A lot of doors, 
A lot of different stairs you can take to a career, to happiness, to success, as the world defines it. A lot of different belief systems. But there's only one God. And that God is a God of truth. And that God one day is going to prevail. I think you, like me, want to be on his side when he does. And I challenge you in this next service, when that altar call is given, wouldn't it be wonderful if every teenager in here would step into the cause for Christ? Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu. Thank you.